from the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! Good afternoon, it's Sunday, November 24th, and you are listening to the College Football Daily, a 24-7 sports podcast dedicated to catching you up on and breaking down the day's college football news. I'm Connor Tapp, and on Sundays, the day's college football news is the games that just happened on Saturday. So Trey Scott joins me to unpack everything we just witnessed. Trey, are you ready to lead off the show with some Pac-12 talk? Yeah, any talk of an SEC or Big 12 bias on this podcast can can be moot now because Oregon 28, Arizona State 31, the Pac-12 delivers us the biggest and most important result of Week 13, perhaps of the entire season because the domino effects from this are real. But we have to spend a little time talking about the game itself too. Jaden Daniels, Arizona State is... The true freshman of the week for 24-7 sports, no duh, you know, <laughs> 408 yards, three touchdowns, 81-yard touchdown pass on third and long. Looks like a, the truth, looks like a future first-round pick. Connor, do you think Oregon would, like, if they played again, do you think Oregon gets the Sun Devils, or is this sort of just like, this wasn't even a fluke? What do you think? I mean, I mean, I think this is two good Pac-12 teams going head-to-head. I, I know Arizona State has racked up quite a few losses as the season has gone on here. But I mean, this is a impressive program that's being built up. And I, I, we, we've seen some highs and we've seen some lows and Saturday night was, was definitely a high. I mean, I, I, I mean, Oregon, I think, you know, probably wins seven times out of 10, but I think Arizona state belonged there. I mean, I mean, 408 yards from a true freshman quarterback. I mean, speaks for itself. I mean, they, they, I mean, they, they deserve this. And they did it by having their true freshman quarterback outplay the guy on the other side of the ball or on the other on the other offense who's, you know, projected to be one of the first two quarterbacks off the board in the NFL draft. Justin Herbert has two interceptions, uh, does develop a really incredible, incredibly productive connection with Johnny Johnson, the third who uh, racked up 270, 207 yards uh, receiving and toward the end there seemed like he might single-handedly keep get Oregon back into this game and maybe even help them win it. Um, but uh, in the end, just not really enough. And it was, you know, in the short term, this is obviously a discouraging result for the Pac-12 meta conversation about the strength of the conference. But I mean, if if you are the Pac-12 and you're kind of looking at this with a long-term view, I mean, these are two programs that are, I think, headed in a good direction. And if more teams in the conference were kind of following this model, we'd be have cause to talk about the Pac-12 at the top of the podcast a whole heck of a lot more. Yeah, I think a lot of it, Justin Herbert burst onto the scene as a true freshman and was captivated the NFL scouting community. And I think... There's just been some overexposure here for four years. We've been able to you know pick holes in his game all the way until then. I will say, you know, he only had one interception coming into that game, mm. um, I believe. And no, I'm sorry, he had he had three. Um, the stats were, were slow to load. I mean, he's had a good season. You know, Thirty touchdowns, five interceptions. Couldn't get it done Saturday night. So Oregon's done. I 
I, I guess last thing before we jump into the playoff implications of this was it was it was nice to have this game on as a primetime game. This was a nice change of pace. This was you know better than watching a Big Ten game or a Big Twelve. Like this was it, it was nice to have some spotlight on the Pac twelve. I know it's not the result the conference wanted from a get your team in the playoff point standpoint, but I do think this was a good. Yeah, it was a good look for the conference. It, it was nice to see that there's more than just two teams, and it speaks to the parity in the league. Uh, Oregon fans are rightly disappointed. Uh, they they had every chance here. And I think we had all sort of come around to the fact that unless Georgia had beaten LSU, Oregon was getting, you know, or the, or the winner of the Pac-12 title game was getting that playoff berth. Yeah, and this obviously opens up a whole can of worms about Alabama and where they'll be. In the in the in the playoff picture on on Tuesday night, but we'll we'll table that for tomorrow's podcast. Uh, one one last thing about this game specifically is that, man, you know, you talked about it's nice to have this in prime time, and I I find myself kind of wondering, like, as the day is kind of going on, the the uh, afternoon games are cycling off, and then I'm I, I hit a point where I'm wondering, man, like, do I even do I even get this game? I'm not totally <laughs> sure. Like I, and so I was just wondering, does the like does the fact that the Pac-12 network is out there creating so much confusion about whether or not we're ever, whether or not we're even going to be able to watch the important games in this conference on a week in week out basis? Like I don't know, is that is that hurting them? <laughs> it, it might be. I mean, do you remember it was a month ago they had two top twenty-five matchups in the same day? I believe Utah Arizona State was on the Pac-12 network, and yeah, I mean. It, it, I think the teams are doing their best to l- sort of lift the Pac-12 up, but the the infrastructure and Larry Scott, you know, they have they have some work to do there. But you know, that's a it's a we've been talking about that for a while. So Oregon is out of the playoff conversation now, obviously, and the conversation turned in the aftermath of this game to you know what are the implications for Utah with the the we came into this week thinking okay. We are headed for this epic showdown between, you know, top 10 Pac-12 teams, Oregon and Utah in the the title game. And now that assumption is kind of thrown off the rails a bit here. Um, And, you know, if Utah does go into the title game, get the win, is a win over an Oregon team that you would guess will now be ranked somewhere maybe around 12 or 13, is that impressive enough of a resume item for the Utes to move up for uh, for Utah's part you know they continued their run of dominance here in the second half of the season blowing out Arizona 35 to 7 not a whole lot really here it's just a complete domination for the Utes 203 yards for Zach Moss running the ball on 26 carries and now next week they've got Colorado and fighting for bowl eligibility, the Buffs are, in Mel Tucker's first year. And, I mean, not to get too far beyond this Utah game and back into the meta-narrative of the Pac-12, but uh, Colorado will be fighting for bowl eligibility because they beat Washington 20-14, to and the Huskies are now 6-5. and I definitely did not see that coming. No, I thought the, I thought Washington would be in the, in the playoff. <clears throat> so, I don't know... It, we don't know what's going to happen. I had thought last week that the the Pac-12 champion needs to run the table the rest of the way. Now it looks like Utah might have to blow Oregon out, um, and we'll see we'll see where how far Oregon drops. 
I don't know the, the the true difference between the number six team as a win and the number twelve team, other than like the obvious at six spots. Utah is just this is a it's it's got a tough resume here. It's it's it will have one top twenty five win, and it has the the loss to USC. And thank goodness for the Utes that USC has in the last week crept into the top twenty five and then won again versus UCLA. On Saturday, if you look at Utah's team, they are dominant on both sides of the ball. They just haven't played anybody, and it's not their fault. But even, Connor, you mentioned Washington, which is 6-5. and five. That was supposed to be a marquee win for the Utes a few weeks ago up in Seattle. And, well, you know, it was a one-touchdown win. And that doesn't even look that good anymore. So, you know, we'll have... It's my. I have a hunch that Utah is now going to sort of become the new it topic of the of the next week in college football because a lot of people have been sleeping on them. They don't sort of have the have the brand pedigree that Oregon would um, because we've been used to seeing Oregon in in national title games and in the playoff. And Utah might be better than Oregon. They'll have a chance to prove that. But we just the national at large has not. And this is again the Pac-12's fault because we have not been able to watch all of the Utah games. They haven't been paying attention to them all year. So now you're sort of force-feeding this notion that there's a team that no one's been talking about who's going to crash the playoff. You know, if Utah does get into the playoff, might be kind of interesting. You could have Ohio State and Utah, two teams who, you know, kind of had their program in their current form kind of built to some degree by Urban Meyer. Uh, They're in the playoff. Oh, yeah. No. You know, I, I wonder who the number one team would rather play? Would they rather play Utah? Would they rather play Alabama with Mac Jones? Would they rather play an Oklahoma team that should be beating everybody, but you know, by huge scores, but can't stop turning the ball over? I'm excited. I, you know, I here's my oath. Here's my oath to to college football. I will watch Utah versus Colorado next week, and I will lock into the Pac-12 championship game as I planned on it. Because, yeah, I mean, Connor, like. It's our jobs to talk about these teams, and you, know, you could look at the stats, and we know that you know Tyler Huntley, Zach Moss, Utah, with you know five, maybe six NFL draft picks on the defensive side of the ball. But I'm not going to sit here and act like I've watched much of their football games at all, and that's sort of weird this late in the season. Yeah, one uh, last Pac-12 note here before we move on to the Big Ten. Stanford fell to Cal, twenty-four to twenty. Not necessarily a shocking outcome there given the way this season was going for the Cardinal, but to step back and take a look at the damage, the Cardinal are four and seven. Now they could still make a bowl if they get to five wins next week, because obviously Stanford is very good at APR and there will not, there are already, it's already clinched that there will be fewer six and six teams than there are bowl slots this year, but Stanford will have to beat Notre Dame next week in at at home mind you but still very tough test uh against the irish there in order to get to five and seven and if they do end up not getting there it'll be the first time stanford hasn't gone to a bowl game since 2008 uh jim harbaugh's second year in stanford here's the problem with stanford is it's now taken a few years since bryce loves incredible season for them to sort of recapture an offensive identity. They will lose quarterback KJ Costello, who's been injured all season. For the most part, 
the brand, the, the, the marquee names from their 2017 class that was incredible is about to cycle out of the program. Walker Little, Colby Parkinson. And they, they recruited in 2018. They had the number 40 class in the country. Not going to cut it. The last two classes have been somewhere in the 20s, which is good. If, you know, if you're, it's it's fine, but it's it's probably not going to get you back into the playoff anytime soon. You wonder, David Shaw is obviously not on the hot seat, um, but you wonder if now maybe he will start to listen to opportunities, whether it's somewhere else or the NFL, um, because this is definitely trending in the wrong direction it has for the last few years now. On to the Big Ten, the marquee game over there, one we'd been looking forward to for a while, Ohio State. Beats Penn State 28-17. Ohio State gets out to a 21-0 lead in this one. And it looks like, as many people predicted, the Buckeyes are just going to roll. But then Penn State gets a touchdown. And then Ohio State fumbles deep in their own territory on consecutive drives. And all of a sudden, it's 21-17. But in the fourth quarter, Justin Fields and Chris Olave connected on a majestic 28-yard touchdown strike to more or less put the game to bed at that point. Trey, what are your impressions coming out of this one? Well, welcome back, Chase Young. Uh, and congratulations on your trip to New York. If, if, if ever a defensive player is going to win the Heisman, it's this year. We'll see. Um, you know, reference your podcast a few weeks ago um, about Indomitian Sue. A few other topics... Chris Olave is one of my favorite stories in college football. That guy burst onto the scene last year with a monster game against Michigan. He is a tremendous deep play threat. He was the number 399 recruit in the country a year ago, or in the class of 2018, which is, for most people listening, that's a great recruit. For Ohio State, that, though, means you're one of the lower-ranked members of the class. So for a team that is rolling out, Justin Fields, the number two player in the country. Uh, at, at Chase Young, the number five player in the country. It's pretty cool that Chris Olave is making his mark. My other point, or I guess my other takeaway here, Ohio State might have fumbled, and pardon the pun, fumbled away a very precious opportunity to snag the number one spot once and for all. 21-0, to zero, they were killing them. You make that, I don't know, 35-7, you're the number one seed. So they'll have another chance next week versus Michigan. LSU is putting up points, but not looking not looking too hot defensively still. That's that's my take. Is yeah, I mean you've got here thinking the slight downgrade yourself. Um, well, I, I I was yeah raising the question. I I think actually I I I mean obviously Ohio State needs to do a better job taking care of the football. But if we are kind of thinking that maybe, you know, three fumbles in this game were kind of one off was kind of a one off fluke. Then maybe it's not something you're super concerned about. Um, I I did notice the commentary crew kind of like push, pushing this narrative of, oh well, Ohio State hasn't really had to deal with a running quarterback before, and here comes Will Levis on in relief of Sean Clifford, and they're kind of running the ball a little bit and having some success. But I think when you when you take into account the fact that Penn State only had the one drive that didn't start inside the Ohio State 40 that they got points on that it it seems it's a lot less uh, uh, scary for Ohio State I guess because I mean if you look at what what Will Levis ended up producing I mean 5.2 yards per pass 1.9 yards per rush I mean that's that's 
that's not that's not really anything. Uh, but I I I wonder in in absence of anything else to be concerned about with Ohio State, if uh, if that's kind of a concern that's going to get raised. But I I guess I'm getting out ahead of it and thinking that I think it's kind of maybe a false narrative. But I do think maybe a bigger cons not concern, but I would have liked to see Ohio State's offense be able to kind of put I, their oh yes this is, I love where you're going I was just thinking this too keep going kind this of, is I'm on the same page here kind of be able to put their foot on the gas here yes. late in this one because I mean I was thinking through I, I was thinking the quarters, exact same thing through two quarters man they were like I mean not that they got any less risk or not that they got any more risk averse in their play calling or anything or like willingness to go for it on fourth down, but just like right out of the gate, you had Penn state kind of cowering and deciding not to go for it on, I think they're uh, fourth from Ohio state's 42 or something like that. And then Ohio state's moving the ball. They're taking chances on fourth down and it's, and they're like going for the kill right before halftime. And you're like, man, Ohio state's cooking. And then, Penn State punches back, and then the offense just kind of doesn't really pull away for Ohio State late. So yeah, sorry to jump all over you there. I was, I, I think of the same thing, and that that was they mentioned on the broadcast. This was the closest game Ohio State had played so deep into the th the third quarter, and they did. I don't know if they got tight. They might have gotten a little tight. Justin Fields was not as I mean, save for that majestic touchdown to Alave, he wasn't quite as sharp. I don't think in the second half and the play calling I kept thinking was reverting to a 2016 or 17 JT Barrett, mm. Ohio state team, the kind of play calling under urban Meyer that drove fans crazy and, and had them hoping last year that after that three game suspension for him, where Ryan, Ryan day showed off his offense that, that it would become more of more of that, it felt a little bit plodding, a little bit conservative. You do wonder if they got tight playing such a – they were spooked, right? They were up 21-0, and here comes Penn State, and all of a sudden we got 21-14 game. That's an interesting thing to watch next week against Michigan, another superior defense. I'd like to see Ohio State just keep playing its best offense the entire time because if it does that, it should be winning every game by multiple, multiple touchdowns. But it, I think it, it allowed Penn State to, to hang around in there, to be honest with you. So let's let's shift gears then to Michigan, who Ohio State obviously plays next week. Indiana gets out to a 14-7 to lead. I think at that point we already knew that Ohio State had already clinched the division. So maybe you're kind of thinking, oh boy, here, here, here goes Michigan. Uh, but they really answered the bell there and rattle off 32 unanswered points powered by 366 yards and five touchdowns from Shea Patterson. And man, Michigan is playing its best football at the right time of the year. The narrative can certainly change. Sure. And depending on how next week's game goes, which matters the most for Michigan fans. But it is funny that we spent a few weeks earlier this year talking about what's his buyout. Yeah. 10 million. They're nine and two. And you're right. They are playing their best football. And Shea Patterson, to be honest, went from damaged goods, needs to be benched, absolute bust in the span of weeks to he's got this. This is going to be a fun game. This is uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. 
Yep. Really looking forward to the game, which is something that I did not think would be the case, you know, some seven weeks ago. Yeah. Michigan's finally, la- the offense, I mean, Shea Patterson's obviously playing well. And I think these receivers, the very special receiving core, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Nico Collins, are finally able to do their thing. And that's nice because I was a little bit sad as a college football fan in September and October thinking, dang, one of the best receiving cores in the country. Then they don't even get the ball. On the other side of the division, we had Minnesota beating Northwestern 38 to 22 and Wisconsin beating Purdue 50 uh, I'm sorry 45 to 24. Those results keep us on track for a winner take all clash for the Big 10 West next weekend in Minneapolis as I alluded to before Ohio State has already clinched the Big 10 East by virtue of beating Penn State. So that the winner of that game will decide who the Buckeyes play. Minnesota, I guess, is notionally still in the playoff mix, ranked number 10 right now. They've got a long, a lot of ground to make up, but you would think a one-loss Big Ten team would have a pretty strong argument, uh, but I guess we'll kind of wait and see there. Trey, anything yeah. you want to add about uh, the, the Gophers or the Badgers? First, uh Props to Jonathan Taylor. Sets a college football record with 12 200-yard games in his career. That was his last one, surely, at Camp Randall Stadium. He was he was given a basketball substitution timeout to allow the fans mm. to recognize him. I hope we don't look back and be like, oh, we didn't, we didn't talk enough about Jonathan Taylor's three-year career. He will go down as one of the best college football running backs ever. As for Minnesota, yeah, they still have a shot. Uh, it's a they got a long two games left though. I mean, this is it's hard to, it's hard to see it's hard to see the end of that timeline with them hoisting a Big Ten title, having dispatched Ohio State. They got a long road to go. All right, we are going to take a quick break, and on the other side, we're talking Big Twelve and SEC. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the College Football Daily. Later this week, we will be airing a special Thanksgiving episode, and we'd like to run some of your voicemails on the podcast. We'd like you to call in and let us know what college football things you are thankful for this year. So if you want to call in and participate, the number is 312-789-5647. That's 312-789-5647. Just leave us a voicemail, and we'll play it on next week's or uh, later this week's so trey oklahoma 28 tcu 24 oklahoma still theoretically in the big 12 uh in in the, in the playoff mix for the big 12 um but looking shaky here again with a four-point victory over a pretty flawed horned frogs team can't say i'm shocked that tcu would keep this to be a close game Gary Patterson pulls out all the stops in big games. I will say Oklahoma had a much better control of this one than the score would reveal. Two brutal turnovers, which you'd like to chalk up as a week t- weekly. It's a fluke. It's, oh, you know, they would have blown him out if it weren't for the turnovers. But that's become a thing for Oklahoma. 
and for Jalen Hurts. And that's a very troubling thing indeed. Obviously, last week, they come back and beat Baylor despite the fact that Jalen Hurts fumbles on the goal line. They struggled with turnovers and blowing the lead against Iowa State. Jalen Hurts turned the ball over twice in the red zone against Texas and Dallas. The only reason that wasn't a 28-point shellacking. Oklahoma has to tighten that up because combined, you combine the turnovers with Lincoln Riley, contrary to what you would believe, is playing very conservative football right now. Something looks a little bit off in Norman. This is far from Riley's best team that he's had. And yet they're still in the playoff push because they have two more top 25 wins ahead of them. And the Baylor win, I, you know, Baylor's playing well. Baylor looks good. Maybe Baylor will, you know, be a top ten win by the time that that rolls around. Oklahoma's still in the mix, and they have the best possible resume of any of those teams going forward. They have a better resume opportunity than Utah. They have more games left to be played than Alabama, and yet something about Oklahoma is leaving us wanting. And if this team could just play up to the moment of, hey guys. You need to start blowing people out. If Oklahoma could start winning by four touchdowns every game, that would be really great for the Big 12. Yeah, don't don't have a lot of time to uh, left to st- start doing that, though. Um, nope. uh, so you mentioned Baylor. They do beat Texas 24-10. to 10. Uh, I, You know, uh, what happened here, Trey? Well, maybe I'll call into the Thanksgiving show and say I'm thankful that this season is almost over. <laughs> it, Texas actually needed a garbage time touchdown to make this not 24-3. to Mm-hmm. They actually needed a sixty-something you know, yard run before the end of the first half to even get points on the board. Before then, this is a nightmare. This is—I I think I've said that now three, several weeks in a row. I got to give props to Baylor. This turnaround is unreal. They don't have more talent than most anybody they're playing, and yet they're doing—they're doing it every week. Matt Rule, for my money, is the coach of the year. Texas, real quick, offensively totally disappeared. And Tom Herman is the one calling the plays. And yeah, did he give himself a concussion before the game started? (laughs) That was, I mean, the optics of being that guy to headbutt your players in like a rah-rah moment where only like six of your players are actually responding to that and everyone else is just standing around. It's humiliating. This has been an embarrassing season for Texas. They are six and five you know, mere months after declaring literally that they're back. Tom Herman has massive changes to be made in the next few weeks. And I think all Texas fans are excited for that. And in fact, he's lucky that he got extended last year, despite no one bidding for him or else he might truly might be gone. But his buyout at 20 million is way too big. All right, let's move to the SEC. Georgia 19, Texas A&M 13. I've got three stat lines or three events that I think uh, kind of sum up about how this game uh, felt. Uh, the first is that Texas A&M punted from the Georgia 43 with four and a half minutes left and never got the ball back. The second is that Texas A&M fumbled on their own 18 on the first drive out of halftime and Georgia engineered a one-yard drive to set up a Rodrigo Blankenship field goal. Ended up being a pretty important three points. And the Aggies had negative one yards rushing on the day. Just kind of a dour, dismal affair. Georgia, you would think, is not going to get dropped because of this, but not really making a compelling case the Bulldogs aren't that they're going to 
I, and maybe you disagree, at least about the giving LSU a difficult time in the SEC championship game. But if they do, if Georgia does end up getting into the playoff, that it is going to be a pretty tough day for the Bulldogs. What happened to Jake Fromm? At the very, uh, hey, Georgia fans probably woke up feeling a little bit uneasy this morning. Guys, at the very least, it, you know, he'll be coming back for his fifth oh, yeah. year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 11 for 23, 163 yards and one touchdown. At one point, was one for six for seven yards. I, I don't want to say he's a bad quarterback because I have too much respect for what Jake Fromm's done in his career to say that. I don't, but I, you know, I'm not going to say it's, it's all his system's fault either. That marriage is not working as far as the offensive system. It's, it's sad. It's bad. It's weird. When I said Georgia could beat LSU, and it's still very possible, this defense is sick. DeAndre Swift could have a monster day against the Tigers. I was expecting Jake Fromm to, to sort of you know, hold up his end of the bargain. They got one more game to get him right. If I'm Georgia, I'm coming out against Georgia Tech and letting Jake Fromm get his confidence back. I'm, I'm breaking the Cardinal Georgia Bulldog rule. I'm letting Jake Fromm for more, throw for more than 30 times, uh, 30 times against Georgia Tech. They have to get him going. Because if they don't, then this season will sort of be a wasted season. And they will enter 2020 with a lot of weird question marks. So LSU 56, Arkansas 20. I feel like this game is probably going to be a Rorschach test for a lot of people in terms of how they see LSU. I mean, LSU does end up giving up 20 points to a pretty bad Arkansas team. But if you kind of look... Inside the numbers, 6.8 yards per pass and 2.7 yards per rush for Arkansas. Pretty good for a conference opponent, but I mean, they're, it, they're just the the fact that LSU's offense is so good. And I thought Barton spoke eloquently about this dynamic on on the on the show on on Friday. Like it just creates such a weird thing where like LSU only has the ball for 19 minutes, and so like. Arkansas ends up having a chance to score a lot of points and like a defense that has a lot of talented players on it ends up giving up a lot of points. So I, 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 th- I think LSU probably in the end did enough here with Ohio state, not like pulling away and just absolutely stomping Penn state to hang on to number one. And I guess maybe I, I should have saved that observation for our college football playoff show. Look ahead. On, on tomorrow's episode, but um, that, I mean, that was really the only drama here in, in this game. Yeah, it was close after a quarter, and then Arkansas gets a lot of those points in the fourth quarter. I would throw this into the cupcake SEC bin. I, I mean, Arkansas is horrible. Yeah. It really bad. Alabama 66, Western Carolina 3. Not really a whole lot to say here. Mac Jones, you know, didn't like step on a rake. Yeah. <laughs> On the other side of the conference, Alabama's partner in the third Saturday in October rivalry, Tennessee beat Missouri 24 to 20 on 415 yards from Jarrett Garantano. The Vols are going bowling after getting off to that just unbelievably bad start to the season. What a turnaround for Jeremy Pruitt and company. I thought they were going to go three and nine after they began the year. 0 and two good for them. It's good to have Tennessee back. I'm going to jinx you guys. You guys are back. The the best UT in college football. And Jared Garantano looked midseason like he was bound to be a transfer portal candidate. So could be. Who knows? Um, I thought he was going to end up at Rutgers back, back home in Jersey. What a day for him. A good story here. 
Miami is in a contest, I guess, with FSU to have the most disappointing season of the big three. The Hurricanes lose to FIU in a like an outcome that is just with, you know, the local pecking order politics is just I mean, Miami fans are not taking this well. No, they lost their former coach, Butch Butch Davis. They lose to a team in their county. They wouldn't they don't even they don't give the players that FIU has the time of day on the recruiting trail. Manny Diaz called it a dark night for the program. Keep in mind, Miami also earlier this year lost or a few weeks ago lost to Georgia Tech. I good luck figuring this Miami team out because these two losses are as bad as any in college football, and yet they're somehow six and five. Virginia Tech shut out Pitt in Bud Foster's last game in Blacksburg, and now Virginia Tech. You know, it felt like it felt like it was two weeks ago. I mean, it was a little bit longer than that in actuality, but for dramatic effect, I'm saying two weeks ago that we were talking about. Hey, is Justin Fuente on the hot seat? Is he about to get? run out of town here and all of a sudden Virginia Tech is going into next week's game against Virginia with a chance to wrap up the ACC Coastal and if you're a Hokie fan you're feeling pretty good about that proposition because I don't think Virginia Tech has lost that game since 1993. That's been a long time. Good 28 to 0. I thought Pitt would win this one. Clearly clearly I was wrong. It's god I mean we talked about Tennessee just a second ago, and as far as the reactions that we have, this season changes so much from September to November. Um, I think it goes to show, you know, peak at the right time. Don't peak too early. Uh, peak at the right time. I, I, Virginia Tech is probably going to play with enough confidence to at least be competitive for a quarter against Clemson in the not in the ACC championship game. If that's if if they beat Virginia which is more than I can say a few weeks ago when I was lining up who Clemson will play in the ACC title game. The Tigers will win that easily, but I think Virginia Tech is at least going to give them a, uh, uh, an opponent with a pulse. All right. Well, that is going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. If you appreciate what we're doing, we ask that you do one thing this week to help spread the word about the show. Maybe that's you know telling a friend, a family member around. You're gathered around the Thanksgiving table diving into some stuffing and cutting some turkey and say, hey, you know what I really enjoy? Getting caught up on the day's college football news every single six days a week during the season with the College Football Daily. But failing that, we will also accept leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. For Trey Scott and our producer, Tani Levitt, I'm Connor Tapp, and we'll see you on Monday morning for the next edition of the College Football Daily. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.